Okay. Ready? We'll do. A, let's do one, two, three, four, five, and then clap on six. Okay. But do. But you got to do the ands. One and two and three and four. That. Yes. And then we'll clap five and and clap on six. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Together, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Nope. Here we go. Okay. One and two and three and four and five and. Oh, I forgot to clap. God damn it, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Well, here we are. Yet another episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. I am calling in from uh, Rockford, Illinois. Rockford, Illinois. Rockford, Illinois, about an hour out of Chicago. That sounds like one of those songs that Billy Joel would have sang about late in his songwriting career. Absolutely. It does sound like a Billy Joel song from the Nylon Curtain. Yeah. Remember right when he was like, I better not write any more songs unless I want to fuck up my whole legacy with these shitty songs that he wrote at the end. He had a pretty good stretch there, man, in the 70s and 80s. He's writing some good shit. He wrote some of the best songs. Dude, don't go changing. God damn, that song's good. He was a dark character. Yeah, I just turned him on, uh, what was he on? He was on... uh... He just did a big career retrospective on Alec Baldwin's podcast called Here's the Thing. That's that's what I listened to. How good was that? That was was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's what I listened to. Just sitting at a piano, and he would occasionally play like a verse and chorus of whatever song they were talking about. Yeah, Alec Baldwin was... He was fanboying out a little too. He hard. was, but that's what made it so fun. I, his love for that dude. Imagine being able to sit with Randy Newman and just talk through his whole career. And Randy Newman's like, "Oh, I'll play you a little bit of the song if you want." You're like, "Fuck yeah, Randy Newman!" Yeah, that would be cool. But it is weird. I don't know if you noticed this or not. So at the very end of the thing, Alec Baldwin's like, "Play me your, play me your favorite song." And he goes, "Oh, there was this one song that that." Uh, wasn't a big hit it was kind of bare down the south and you played it it was so shitty yeah yeah you kind of it's like well i get it uh it's like the only reason you think that song's good is because you haven't played it a million times it's that song's not even anywhere near like she's always a woman or fucking piano man or if someone asked you to play your favorite song what would it be uh I mean, it would be a current, it would be a song that I'd just written. Like, it would be the best song that I'd written in the last month or two. That's always my favorite song. Um, But I wouldn't play some song from fucking 35 years ago that suck dicks. That's that's (laughs) only the song that you write. That's only the song that you mention when you haven't written songs in 20 years. What if you were talking to Alec Ball and he was a huge fan, which he may be, who knows, and he's all giddy next to you at the piano. And what if the one song he wants you to play for him is The Money Onion? Oh, I would love that, dude. I love The Money Onion. That's a great song. <laughs> I got a gift uh, long ago from the gift. She says it saddles the rain. It's like a day and a gone and gone. I don't know what the words are. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Well, the thing I like about that song, Gimme, 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 The Money Onion, that's that's next level creative. Like... That's there's nothing cliche about that song. Now is it a great song? It's definitely not the best song I've ever written, but it it comes from a place of pure creativity. And in that regard, I love it. I like that song way more than I like Honey Pot, which is much more straight ahead. 
Well, speaking of give me that money, uh, G Money writes in. We have an email address, bobandclint at gmail.com. You can write in. We'll talk about whatever you want. Uh, G Money writes in from Wimberley, Texas, saying, I really do care about your words, the process, the ethereal nature of life and creativity. Sometimes I've been jealous of how you're making a living as artists slash musicians. I'm close to 40 with a baby boy on the way. I was 19 at Antone's Tuesday nights for scab shows back in the Dizay. I met Bob once when I worked at Bubba's Country Store. He had a VW bug that was breaking down on his way to record a Lonely Land album out in Driftwood. Oh, we wow. talked Star Wars and shit. Wow. He says, oh. question, do you guys ever question what reality is? I oh. dropped some shrooms and MDMA a couple of weekends ago solo and thought about vibrational energy, sentient plants, chakras, and so on. Anyhow, been binge listening to the podcast. Just wanted to say thanks. Do oh, wow. we ever question what reality is? Like you and I have talked about that a lot. That's all we talk about. We had we had a huge uh, disagreement about it because I was trying to get you to agree to something. and You're like, fuck you, man. I'm not going to agree to anything that you're saying. And I'm like, I know. But what about one plus one equals two? And you're like, go fuck yourself. And I'm like, what about one plus one equals two? And you're like, fuck off, bitch. <laughs> like to the point where somebody emailed us. Remember that? I never said one plus one doesn't equal no, no, two. I'm, I, no, no. I was saying something like that. I'm using that as an example. I was trying to like you, say some real saying, basic shit, and you were like, no, 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 no. no. You were saying the past and the future don't exist, oh, right. which That's is not the same as one and one is two. Right, right. But it was something like, hey, does the past exist? And you're like, go fuck yourself. What about the future? Fuck off, bitch. And I'm like, no, but just does the future exist? Go fuck yourself. And I'm like, okay. Your version of the events is 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 real shaky. And <laughs> this conversation exists for anyone to listen to. Um, I can tell you what episode. It, I think the episode was actually called The Future Doesn't Exist. You should cut in some of the actual audio from that. All right, stuff in the future doesn't exist. Stuff in the past doesn't exist. The only thing that exists, the only thing that exists is right now. Correct. Can we agree on that? I don't, only ag now. I don't agree with that. I'm saying the only thing that exists is right now. The future doesn't exist and the past doesn't exist. There's only right now. Now, there's a videotape of the past. There's memories of the past. Right. So you're saying so, the past did exist. The future will exist, but it doesn't currently in the present. You're just describing the past, present, and future. That, what I'm saying is the only thing that's real is right now. Am I correct? I don't like the framing of this. All right, I'm going to make a statement. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Nope, gotcha. Just tell me what you think. God damn I, it. I'm at, no. We have to agree on this one point for me to well, prove no, we, no, no, we that don't. nothing exists the way we think it exists. I'm just saying the only thing that's real is right now. Can we agree on that? I, yes. don't, I don't think I agree with that. Give me an example of something that exists from the future or the past in the now. That's, that's not in the now. That's the future or the past. It's not some big gotcha for me, Bob, because I'm not prepared to have some sort of theoretical, philosophical conversation with you about time. I'm just saying I don't agree with what you're saying. You've not convinced me. It's really up to you to convince me, but you're asking me to give you proof of the negative. You're asking, you're putting the burden of proof on me when this is your theory. So okay, let's just hear we, the theory. Can, can, can we exist? Can we? All right. 
Don't do the Socratic you, thing. Quit asking me. Just tell me what you think it is. What is it? So the only thing is now. Now what? Okay. So if the only thing is now, correct? <laughs> no. Just tell me what. Now, if the only thing is now, then what? According to your theory, then what? Then how can you be a baby <laughs> and be a big baby like the way you are now? How could you be a small baby that poops in his panties and now be a big baby that pees a little in his panties? <laughs> Dude, talk about questioning reality. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, well, of course, if you do shrooms, any psychedelics, anything where you hallucinate, you're going to have the experience where the reality that you know and trust is going to be altered in a way that's experiential, not postulated like in some essay that you read about, but you actually have the experience of seeing something that's solid move around in a weird way. And then once you do that, once you've seen something that's solid move around, you might go, maybe everything isn't solid. Maybe this is an illusion. It will bring up some of that in your brain. And then for the rest of your life, you'll be like, I don't know what this is. And if you haven't had that actual experience through drug use, you're never going to feel that way. You're always just going to go, oh, yeah, everything is the way it is. And you are uh, uh, you can only do that through like those, you know, mushrooms or acid. Or right. Whatever. Which, in my opinion, and I have done hallucinogens, I've had these kinds of experiences. They only exist when you're under the influence of the drugs for a reason. And that's because you're on fucking drugs and everything is what it is. You know, I had a friend who took DMT. And he's like, dude, I finally get it. I finally understand. Like, everything's connected. We're all one. Um, being separated from other things is an illusion. He's like, dude, I hugged a tree for an hour. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> You're sober right now, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Go hug that tree right there for a fucking hour. <laughs> You're not going to make it 90 seconds, dude. And that's what is. That's what really is. It's well, like someone told me, it was our, a friend of ours, I won't say who it is, but I remember it told me and you at Saxon Pub, we're talking about Kanye. He's like, dude, you got to be loaded on drugs to get Kanye. I'm like, well, I'm not, then it's not good. I'm not interested. I don't want to have to be fucked up to understand if music's good or not. Well, I think, I, I, I think everything, I know that all the music that I like when I used to smoke pot got so much better when I was high. Like I used to love to get high and then listen to songs that I wrote. Now I haven't smoked pot in 23 years. So all of the music that I've made is Bob Schneider. I've never listened to stoned, but I guarantee you if I, if I was a stoner, first thing I would do is put on I'm good now or lovely creatures or lonely land and listen to the fuck out of that. And be like, Oh, this shit is good. I hope, I hope I would think that. I no, no, I, I, I understand the experience and I could never challenge anyone's experience. My problem with people, and I'm not saying G Money's doing this, but the people who have those experiences and then they think that experience is reality and they want to push it on you. It's like you had an experience. That's awesome. You hugged a tree for an hour. Awesome. But then they come back from there like, dude, you don't get it, man. There's like, there's avenues of spiritual information that you just don't have access to because you didn't do the certain drugs I did. It's like, all right. All right. Yeah. Because you know I, me, I'm kind of a hardcore materialist, so yeah, I don't yeah. have a lot of patience for that. No, no. And I agree with you that, right, there's drug reality and then there's reality reality. But what, what the drugs do is it takes you to a place and it opens up the door 
and you can look through that door a little bit and get a glimpse of something. Now, as soon as you get off the drugs, you're not near that door anymore. You're far away from it. But it does give you the idea that maybe you don't know all there is to know because you've had this alternative perception of the world. And I agree mm-hmm. that that the perception that we have when we're sober is the real one that we're supposed to have. It's sort of like if you're playing a video game and then all of a sudden there's a glitch in the game where you go up against a wall and then all of a sudden the wall disappears for some reason because there's just some programmer error there and you're like oh shit that wall's not there i mean that's a video game obviously but i think that's what drugs do they give you this idea that maybe this thing that we're experiencing isn't exactly what we think it is now what that is unknown uh can it be known i don't believe it can be anybody that says they know what it is like when they go hey man you don't get it i know i'm like ah I'm gonna take that with uh, all the salt there is. But I guess I guess where I where I, the rubber meets the road on like, what's the value of looking through that door? Is there value to that? Absolutely. Well, what is it? Well, for me, the value is I can. It allows me to believe in a god. It allows me to believe in a god that loves me and cares about me, and it allows me to make believe that I want to be here having this experience and that I elected to be here and that my life and the way it's going down is something that I chose in the same way that somebody might choose a certain type of movie when they go see a movie. It allows me to believe that because before that, I believed that life was chaos and and it didn't make any sense to me and it was horrible and I hated it and I felt lost and uh, I don't feel that way anymore. Because of hallucinogenic drugs? No, I don't think it's because of hallucinogenic drugs. I think it's because I had a spiritual awakening when I got sober and all that spiritual awakening was is this idea that I don't know if there is or isn't a God. And just that just that realization of me not knowing uh allowed me to believe in god now i think that the reason i was able to believe that is because it's at a certain point i had some psychedelic experiences where i realized oh the world probably isn't the way i it, there's a chance that the world isn't the way i think it is and so again it just allowed me to believe in some mystery now I don't know what the mystery is. And the only way I can believe in God is to have no idea what it is. As soon as you explain to me what it is, it sounds like a lie to me. I don't believe it. So like people that are super religious and they try to they go, hey, you want to go to church or do you want to read the Bible? I'm like, I don't believe in any of that. Like, I only believe that God loves me and I want to be here. And God created the universe for me to have this experience. But I, I don't believe that the answer is in any book or I don't think you have the answer. And I don't think those group of people have it. Now, do I like those people? And do I think it's important for people to get together and think about God? Yeah, I like those. I think those people are cool. And, uh, and for the most part, you know, as long as you don't have to hurt somebody because of your beliefs, I think it's all good, whatever you believe in. Uh, he asked another question, which is, are humans evolving into something different? Oh, my God. 
Dude, we got. We are well equipped to answer these (laughs) questions, dude. This. I think you might have been mistakenly writing into Elon Musk. Uh, are they evolving into something? I mean, I don't know. Is he looking to us for the answer to that question? I think he's. I think he thinks that uh, we would have fascinating answers to this. I don't. I don't. I hope he's not looking to us for actual scientific reasoning and uh, theoretical physics in this matter. Theoretical evolutionary biology, because. We ain't equipped for that. Humans are getting taller if you believe, you know, like if you go to a house from the 1600s, those doorways were tiny, tiny. And uh, they're not tiny anymore. I think we are evolving into cyborgs. I don't think we're evolving the way we evolved through hundreds of thousands of years of environmental pressure and sexual selection. But in terms of integrating with technology, we're definitely evolving into that for sure. Well, that's the next step, dude. Neural shunts. They're going to put something that you can access the internet with your brain directly. And then who knows what happens then? Dude, I got in a car yesterday, like a runner's car to go to the hotel. And it was one of these $150,000 BMWs. And you turn the volume up and down just by moving your hand up and twisting your finger left or right. That turns the volume up and down. Oh my God, dude. Are you serious? It doesn't even save that much time. But yeah, it's so fucking creepy, man. So creepy. Dude, we're living yeah. in the, we're living in the future. Well, we have one more email here, at least for this week. Again, Bob and Clint at gmail.com. We've read pretty much every email anyone's ever written us. So we like engaging with our fans. This says uh, <laughs> the subject is scowl, a wide beam sailing dinghy. It says next song game phrase. You have to put your stuff in that ocean other than your own dirty scowl urine, which is something I said on the last episode. <laughs> Uh, Norma says, I dare you love your music. Clinton, Bob loved this podcast. P.S. There isn't a thing I don't understand in that Lord song. What's so weird. Think girl, think 16, think literal. So she's saying, I was talking about how weird the lyrics are of Royals by Lord. And she's saying it's not that weird. And I guess that's fine. That's just, okay. It's weird to me, but I'm not a 16 year old girl. So, well, you told me one time that you don't understand jazz. Do you remember that? You're like, I don't get it. Uh, I mean, that must have been quite a long time ago. I still don't really, I don't get like bebop and far out shit. Uh, I like the most popular jazz. I like Miles Davis, you know, but, but I don't understand the far out stuff. Well, that's cool. I mean, because at one point, I believe when I met you, you were like, yeah, all jazz. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm like, what? What does that mean, even? Well, I don't recall saying that, and this must have been seven or eight years ago, so I can't defend a position that I don't even remember. But now you're listening to jazz? I listen to Miles Davis, yeah, at the house all the time. Birth of the Cool and Kind of Blue. Nothing crazy. Uh, Last time I was in New York, I went to Smalls um, to see jazz. I also went to the Blue Note. Smalls is where Wayne took me one night after we played the Bowery, and Laura Haring said that she would date me if she was younger. And what did you think of the jazz? Loved it. Had a blast. Super fun. I feel like jazz is like any genre. Like, if it's great, then of course it's going to be good. But, god damn it, there's so much shitty jazz. Just like there's so much shitty blues and so much shitty reggae. Yeah, but I I gravitate towards music that has structure and has lyrics and tells a story. Jazz traditionally doesn't really do that. So that's just harder for me to sink my teeth into. 
I don't knock it. I, I understand that people love it. Another thing that I always rejected about jazz culture is the people that are really into jazz, they think that rock and roll and blues and country music is all complete stupid bullshit. And I always hated the elitism of it. Yeah. I mean, some jazz is like super sophisticated and that's my least favorite jazz. My favorite jazz is super uncomplicated and very simple, but yeah, all of my favorite music is very simple. Like it's easy to convolute something and make it crazy. And then people, you know, like rush or somebody like that, or I don't know. No, I agree. You know what I always appreciated about sting or maybe even tool to a, to a degree is they write these really complicated songs that if you analyze them, the time signatures are complicated, the arrangements are complicated, but they're written in a way that are for everybody. Right. You wouldn't know they were complicated if you weren't a musician. Sting is really great at that. Yeah. And I've always appreciated that. Because if it's just progressive for the sake of it, and you're just trying to fucking flex your muscles, right. that is really boring to me. Yeah. Well, that poetry is that way. I think modern poetry, I think poetry, all poetry from the last 50 years or so, it's just gotten into the hands of the academics. And so they're more concerned with structure and what words you're using and like all this stuff that makes no difference at all to the reader. The only thing that matters, it's not, it doesn't matter how you do it. What matters is what you're saying. And so like Sting says some really beautiful things. Now he does it in such a sophisticated way that you're not aware of how actually complicated what he's doing is. But um, I like, I like, I mean, I like simple, simple too. Like the kinks, you really got me. Oh yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any more simple than that. And that's just so amazing. Or like the Rolling Stones satisfaction. It's three chords. Dude, have you seen this new Dylan documentary about the Rolling Thunder review? That Scorsese did? That's so... I watched about 45 minutes of it. They might as well just call that, hey, Bob Dylan did a bunch of coke at one point (laughs) and we filmed him high as fuck for a while. Well, you know what's pretty wild about that is like all the Ginsburg stuff in it. Like Ginsburg was on tour with him. Yeah. And I don't know if you and I have ever talked much about the beat poets. Uh, I know that you and I both got way into Bukowski, which was sort of the West Coast opposite of all that. But were you a fan of Rant? And, you know, Planet News and all that, all that Ginsburg shit. I truly, 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 truly hate the beat poets. Like, and I hate all of that <laughs> slam poetry. Like anybody who does that fucking that shit and fucking and then he took the thing and he fucking da ba ba I'm like go fuck yourself dude I don't know if you were ever up for it but we used to me and Wayne and Ollie used to always get in these slam poetry rips on the bus they would get really far out dude that shit would be funny I went to the store to buy a hat it just gets super <laughs> far out dude we would do it for hours yeah I I hate all that I hate it. But I will say this. So I wasn't a huge Ginsburg fan. I bought his complete works, which is too much, and and read some of it. And that guy did write some incredible stuff. But he also – there wasn't a lot of editing with him. That's, that's the problem with all those guys. They just get on these rants. And, like, 
parts of it are so amazing and beautiful. And I mean, we're talking about a gay guy at a time when like that was so taboo and he was just like openly gay and like shouting it at people, like shouting about sucking dick and stuff at a time when you might like actually go to jail for that. Like that part was pretty crazy. So he was brave. He was a brave guy. He has a whole collection called White Shroud that's like him in the 80s after, you know, his heyday is definitely kind of over. He's like bald and fat and still wanting to fuck young kids and like like young men, how they don't find him attractive. And he, yeah, he did blatantly write about that in his poetry. But what's crazy about that documentary is he's on the road with Dylan and this whole traveling troubadour of fucking insane people. And uh, he would read at the concerts, I guess. But then the show got so long that they had to cut him and he ended up being the baggage guy. So they've got Allen Ginsberg out there carrying all their luggage in and out of hotels. Well, the other thing about that show, all the music they played, all of it was terrible. And I love Bob Dylan. I think he's one of the greatest songwriters ever. And all of the music that they played in that documentary was terrible. Oh, I thought it was dope. I bought the record that came of the that year, 1976 is a record he put out called Desire. I bought that record on vinyl today because I thought it was so dope. That Hurricane song and Isis and One More Cup of Coffee. I thought those were awesome. They're okay. The recordings are okay. But the versions that he was doing all coked up on stage were horrible. I, he is pretty it, fuck, it, you fucking can, weird You can go that. on Spotify and listen to all live versions of those songs from that tour. Now, they're mm-hmm. not necessarily the ones that are in the movie, but they're all live versions, and they suck. It's not really? worth listening to. I mean, if you're going to listen to it, listen to the studio recordings. What's your favorite Dylan stuff? Uh, for sure, like, that's uh, everything he did from, like, you know, 19 to 23. That was all of, all of the great stuff he did super young. That's what's so amazing about him. I mean, he wrote... He wrote all of that, all this stuff that you think of Dylan, he wrote under 25. It's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, I can't even, I mean, the shit I was writing when I was that age was so stupid. I think that's why he's as famous as he is, because he was so young and was so wise in his songwriting. Not a lot of humor, though. There's some humor. There's, there's, I mean, it's, it's an, I th- I find his stuff pretty there's lots of I don't see a lot of earnestness in his writing like it's all like a big j- everything's like a big joke like Well he, yeah it's really sardonic he yeah. doesn't care to like he's famous for like lying he he tells everybody goes yeah I lie about everything he, he lied about his name his name wasn't Bob Dylan he made up this character and then made up all these songs. and then Yeah, people what's were his like, name, Zimmerman? His, name, his real name is Zimmerman, right? Yeah, and people were like, hey, man, you're like this protest guy. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm whatever I want to be. I'm, I'm an, he's like a real artist, dude. Have you ever read that book, Tarantula, that he wrote? No. Dude, unreadable. It's just like pure bullshit. The whole book. <laughs> it's just random. It's, that uh, reminds me of a story in the documentary, like, I guess Sharon Stone, when she was just like a young model, came out to that tour and he sort of spotted her in a crowd and he invited her on the road with him. And she's like, I, I don't know how to be on the road. He's like, oh, you'll be a seamstress or whatever. You'll help with the, the band, the back line or whatever. So she's on the road with Dylan, which, by the way, on that tour, he drove the tour bus himself. And uh, 
She says, like, after a few weeks of being on the road, she's backstage, and Bob Dylan's just in the in a dark, shadowy corner backstage, sitting at a piano. He's like, "Hey, Sharon," and he plays. He says, "I wrote a song for you," and he plays just like a woman. You know oh that my, song? Yeah. He's like, you know, she cries like a woman, but she breaks like a little girl. Oh my! So Sharon God. Stone just starts bawling, crying. Wow. She said, like, two weeks later, his manager told her that he wrote that song ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> He was trying to he was trying to get some He's trying to have a good time for sure. He was trying to get some of that Sharon Stone. But just to your point of like him always whatever. Can't recommend this highly enough. If you want to know more about Bob Dylan, check out his radio show. It's on Sirius or XM, but it's him that, Yeah, be, Sir, Sirius is XM. It it's just him being a DJ playing like his favorite old songs and songs that inspired him. And him talking about that shit is the most fascinating stuff I've ever... Like, he's so cool. And his whole thing is like, I know, I know you know what's... I'm not going to tell you what what it is, because you know what it is. Like, that's the way... His whole thing is like, look, there's this thing. I like it, but I don't need you... I don't need to tell you to like it, because I know you like it, because I know you know what's right and what's good. <laughs> like, and he's like... And you're like... You're right, Bob. He's so cool, man. I'm telling you, man. I love, love Bob Dylan. Now, having said that, I've only seen him in concert once, and I saw him like 15 years ago. It was one of the worst concerts I've ever seen. Yeah, it's so hit or miss. And I was talking to this guy. Dude, did I tell you my Bob Dylan story? Yeah, that he heard your tunes and liked it? Yeah. How cool is that? That's really, really cool, dude. Anyways, I was uh, I was talking to somebody who knows him, and and they were telling me that for a long time, and I guess he's not doing it as much now, but for a long time, his whole thing was to not sing good or not sing the songs the way they were written to fuck with the audience, and like he was doing it on purpose. It wasn't like he couldn't sing or he couldn't do it right. He was just like. I'm going to fuck these, I'm going to fuck with these people. And I kind of understand that sort of mentality. Uh, yeah, you're kind of from that school a little bit. In a way, but not as much as, I mean, I like, I like not necessarily giving the people what they want, but I, I still want to give them something good. I don't want to give them something horrible. And I feel right. like his thing was like, I'm going to give you something horrible and see how far I can take it and have you still dig me. Like, I think that was his deal. It's weird. When I saw him, he he was sitting at the piano, but the piano was far stage right, and his back was to the rest of the band. And <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's fucking boss right there. <laughs> it's so far out that it's kind of fucking cool. And he played songs that were like... I, I would I would barely hear a lyric and be like, holy shit, this is Highway 61, like which is just a straight ahead rocker. Yeah. But it was so unrecognizable and unrecognizably insane. He was just crooning at the piano. And he'll do songs that are in different time signatures, different keys, no rehearsal. It's just very loose, very immediate. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, I saw him and he was like, and he would be like, I think that was just like a woman. And then the next song, it's like, that's the same bullshit. Like they all sounded the same and they were all bad. And I was like, what the fuck? 
But now that I heard that he was fucking with people, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, I get it. I get it. It was it still it wasn't cool. I and I still, <laughs> still and and I cool. and I still love him. Like I love I kind of love him for it. I know. Dude, well, because it because it is him. It's very much him. Dude, so if how you love about, him? How about when he was like the number one fault guy? The number yeah. one, like everybody loved him, and he said, "You know what I'm going to do? I'm bringing a band out, and I'm going to play electric guitar." And every show, people booed. The whole time. Speaking of him writing that book, Tarantula, there's a documentary he made about that tour. Oh, yeah, I've was, seen it. Which is, it's called Eat the Document. And it, he edited it himself. It's really, really far out. Oh. And it documents the show in Manchester where someone famously yelled Judas when he switched to electric. Right. And Levon Helm, the, the backing band were the Hawks, which became the band. Right. And Levon Helm got over there. And once they started booing them, he quit the tour. He was like, fuck this. I'm not trying to come out here and get fucking booed. I'm going home. Dude, and Manchester is a rough ass city, dude. Manchester is basically Cleveland with like <laughs> shaved, like skinhead looking motherfuckers walking around at night looking to fucking headbutt you. I mean, they're not fucking around. They're like ready to hand out ass whoopings in Manchester. It's no joke. Well, speaking of no joke, we have to roll because it is time to go. Well, damn, that went that flew by. But it was nice sure uh, hanging out here with you uh, on the I'm okay, you're okay, I'm not okay, you're not okay. Check out Clint's podcast, Mental Up Your Podcast, all things Metallica. You don't have to be a Metallica fan to enjoy Clint's musings on music and life and what have you. And also check out my other podcast, The Song Club. You can get all of them on uh, iTunes podcast and Spotify and all that shit. Also write and leave us a review and subscribe and share with your friends. You do this better than I do. I'm going to let you do this from now on. Well, we've given the people a lot of homework. Bob and Clint at gmail.com. We'll read about whatever you want on the show. As Bob said, and he's not wrong, leave the review. It only takes a second. Really helps us. If you like what we do, we do it for free out of the kindness of our own hearts because we love you guys. And I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. Community. And with that, let's just get the fuck out of here and say peace. Peace. Peace.